Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. So I've got a question for you. What runs through your mind when you know that someone is disappointed with you? Does it devastate you? Do you work overtime to make sure it never happens in the first place? Well, to be honest, I never intentionally disappoint anyone, and my guess is is that you probably don't either. But the need to please is ingrained in us from the moment we draw breath, and wanting those around us to be happy is completely normal. But it also can be damaging for both them and for you. So to help explain how this can happen from something that seems so positive, I'm joined by Dr. Bernard Golden. He's founder of Anger Management Education and the author of Overcoming Destructive Anger, Strategies That Work. So Dr. Golden, Bernie, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about what really seems to be a very common thing. You know, like you say, it's very natural to want to please people, to even little children want to please their parents, partly for clothing, food, shelter, but also, <laughs> but also children very early on become empathic. They they know when parent is in pain or uncomfortable or stressed. Uh, so in our relationships as adult, we do want to please. On the other hand, when we feel compelled, uh, it becomes an obsession because, as you say, we are fearful of rejection or fearful of having of having people disappointed with us. It, yeah, and it is it's such a complicated thing. I always talk um, to my clients about, you know, that, that babies, infants are, they have to be in tune to the emotional energy around them. They're, they don't understand language, but they understand emotion. They understand the thing, and they know that their very lives depend on making sure that the adults in their life don't abandon them. And so one of the ways they do this is, you know, to be pleasant. I When I first had my when I had my first son or my first child, one of my husband's colleagues said, asked him, he says, you know why they make babies so cute, don't you? And my husband said, no. And he goes, so you don't throw them out the window. And I just said, okay. <laughs> but, but that's really, I mean, that's really what that whole thing is about is babies need to make themselves pleasant enough so that they don't get abandoned, either literally or figuratively. And so this this need to please is, like I said, it's ingrained in us. And you wrote an an interesting article for psychologytoday.com titled Three Ways Needing to Please Others Can Fuel Our Anger, where you talk about this, and we're talking about where this desire comes from. But here's the question. Why does it last so long? I mean, I understand the need in children, but... Is it just habit, or is there something more to it than that? It is habit, uh, but it's, it is more than that. In terms of a child, for example, if a parent is uh, inconsistently available when the child is uh, an infant or a young child, uh, if there's some either neglect or conflict, the child may feel anxiety. And so the anxiety about the relationship, uh, fearful that uh, a person might not be there, but also really strongly, powerfully wanting a relationship. So they may become uh, intensely, have an intense need to please from that kind of anxiety. 
<clears throat> Excuse me. And then well, also the, the, the anxiety may intensify the need to please, but also become conflict avoidant as a mm. child, as a child, and then as an adult. I often say that the emotional brain has nothing to do with intelligence, nothing to yeah. do with nothing to do with our chronological age. So uh, fast forward, you meet someone and you you develop a meaningful, intimate relationship. The emotional brain is kind of saying, oh, I remember what a relationship was like. <laughs> and all of the fears or anxieties as well as the, uh, the need to please and, and all the positive feelings get stirred up as well. And so a child may also feel guilt or shame about having desires or needs met early on. A parent might unwittingly shame a child. Or a parent or a sibling who has an emotional or physical illness and the child feels they have to take care of that person or be more attentive to those uh, members of the family, uh, and their needs go by the wayside. Not well, yeah, and that's a really, it, yeah, and that's a really interesting thing because you know, when I talk with my clients, I, I talk about that. You know, sometimes when their partner is behaving in a way that doesn't make sense to them, it's like yes, and you're looking at your partner as the adult that they are when actually they're that four-year-old child. You know, going into those old habits that allow them to be loved and cared for, even though as, as an adult it's completely unprotective and, and extraordinarily confusing to the partner. But right. in this article, you talk about three ways that this compulsion to please can actually create anger in somebody. So, um, can you can you kind of elaborate on on one of uh, on those ways? Sure. Uh, one is that the intense need to please is disempowering. When we overly elevate the needs, desires, and goals of others and our partner, for example, the more we tend to minimize or ignore our own. And so we start to experience the partner as having more powerful, uh, more authority, more agency. Uh, and then we put ourselves in the shadows and start eventually to feel invisible in terms of our power in the relationship and power over our own lives. Uh, very concretely, if, I, if I'm extremely intensely need to please, I might neglect uh, getting to take care of myself in a, in a day. I might devote more hours to my partner than to myself, um, overly so. Uh, the, well, and that's... That's really interesting because I, I confront this all the time because this is where, you know, I'll get my clients coming in and say, my partner is trying to control me. And, but I think that is, is that's kind of the flip side or the external side of I've given up my power to, to allow for myself. And I see this all the time. In fact, I was just talking to somebody yesterday who was talking about this idea that if I take care of myself or if I think about what I need, doesn't that make me a narcissist? And I'm going, oh, my God, we've got to stop with that word. Just <laughs> different. I mean, it's like, oh, my gosh, the fact that you have, you, that you recognize that there's something that's important to you does not make you a narcissist. <laughs> but, but, it, but then that just kind of feeds into this whole need to please or, or at least this ignoring of myself and this disempowerment, doesn't it? Definitely, and, and there is such a thing as healthy narcissism that we do. Uh, it's called self-care. 
and, <laughs> and self-compassion that we need to take care of ourselves to really uh, both fulfill our own needs and desires as well as be more available to uh, voluntarily, <laughs> so to speak, have more flexibility, I should say, in terms of pleasing others. That sense of feeling controlled. If we're able to set limits, then we feel comfortable doing so. Yeah. Uh, so. Someone can do cartwheels to convince us to do something or behave a certain way, and we can just not feel threatened at all and just say, you know, not, not really. I'm, I'm not available to do that. But if we feel that intense, compulsive need to please, then we're going to be, like you say, much more sensitive to feel controlled, uh, sometimes even when someone's not trying to control us. We're being really controlled or held hostage by our own intense need to please. Well, and I love that description because you know, a lot of times the, the partner is like, I have no idea what they're talking about. I'm not trying to control them. I'm just trying to you know, be comfortable, right? I, you know, it's like I tell people, you know, we're, or the other thing is, is my partner's trying to manipulate me, and I say, yes. And the problem is, is that we all try to manipulate each other. They're just better at it than you. But it's not really so much manipulation as it is I'm stating what I would like. And if my partner doesn't have a, a good boundary then and feels like they just have to say yes no matter what I'm asking for, but then they get upset about it. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa you're talking about setting boundaries and that's one of the things that I think really gets at this not wanting to disappoint somebody because if I tell somebody no, whether it's my spouse or my child or my coworker or my mother or whoever it must be, they're not going to like it. And one of the phrases that's helpful is whose life are, are, are we living? We could uh, internalize, for example, the goals, the desires of our parents. We can also focus, overly focus on the needs of a partner to the exclusion of our life. And so the, when we ask that question, whose life are we leading? Yes, the, I often say that the more we follow our dreams, our hopes, our goals, people might be disappointed because they have a different blueprint for how they want us to be with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, that can be challenging. And we all have, we can all have a, a, an individually unique blueprint for our lives. And sometimes that can be disappointing for others. Especially yeah, that's what it's, that's what it's thing I, I tell people about disappointment. The disappointment just means you're not, you're not doing what somebody else wants you to do, which which may not be a bad thing depending on what they're wanting you to do. And, you know, but it's, 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 a hard, it's hard to get through that. So just out of curiosity, because this, this lack of control, this, feel, you know, this feeling disempowered, to me, leads to resentment. Is that where the anger comes in in this particular way that needing to please can create anger? Very much so. If we are feeling compelled to please, we neglect ourselves, little by little we feel resentment. But at the same time, if someone really is, has a strong compulsion to please, they may be so uncomfortable with anger that they don't realize that they're angry. They may get anxious instead, or they mm -hmm. may act out the anger in a more passive-aggressive way, uh, yes. for, forgetting to uh, 
do an errand or buy something that your partner requested. Gee, I completely forgot that. Um, It's much more difficult for someone who has intense need to please to get angry at the other person. So also they may become, even with resentment, angry at themselves. Interesting. Uh, In the extreme, I've seen people, for example... Uh, a man who little by little deferred his needs, his desires, and this happened over several years, and to the point where he felt invisible, and I've, had, I've seen as much often at times where, okay, I, I gradually gravitate towards someone who I feel a little more visible with. And so the anger is, is directed in that way. Uh-huh, interesting. And, it, you know, this, and I think a lot of it is is that we don't necessarily understand what's happening. Um, and so I think that even adds to the confusion because this is, these are behaviors that we develop practically before we're even cognizant, you know, back when we're infants and toddlers and we're trying to please what I call the giants in our lives, what I call the adults. Um, and, and these patterns get ingrained and then when we also meet our partners they kind of re-trigger those patterns so it's like this awful cycle that seems like it can't ever end and and so to me it, it makes perfect sense that people either turn their anger inward or outward because they're just so frustrated by all of this right it starts with frustration feeling invisible resentment and then uh, much more intense anger uh, but like I say, it's more subdued back to, in terms of passive-aggressive. Uh, and the challenge is to be aware of this, uh, you may want to call it a trance, that our mind is telling us this is the way we need to be, this is the way we should behave in a relationship. The real challenge is to listen to that, to turn up the volume, to recognize that a voice in our head is saying to do these things or that we need to please versus it would be nice to and then recognize uh, that we don't always should should not always trust what our mind is telling us to do. <laughs> it may not be in our overall best interest. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting concept. Well, this is happily ever after is just the beginning on WebTalkRadio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking to Dr. Bernard Golden, author and founder of Anger Management Education. And no matter how much you try to make someone else happy, they will eventually be disappointed in one way or another. And how you both handle that disappointment will greatly influence the health and success of your marriage. So if you or your partner are either a people pleaser or handle disappointment in an unproductive way, I can help. So I invite you to give me a call or send me an email and schedule your free, no obligation, create your happily ever after transformation session. You can reach me by email at leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, N is in Nancy, C is in charlie.com. Or you can reach me on the phone at area code 919 Again, that's 919-924-0463. And I want to get back to talking to Dr. Golden about this. So what are the other two ways that um, the need to please can, can produce anger? Okay. Uh, so there was the uh, disempowerment. 
Mm-hmm. Also, that when we overly focus on the needs and desires of others, we neglect the self-reflection that is is important to be connected with ourselves, to know what uh, what drives us, what goals do we want to have in our lives. Being being aware of our own feelings on a day-to-day basis, the more we focus on others, we neglect to be able to identify, and then we feel less connected with ourselves. We feel more isolated with others, and then more isolated with ourselves as well. Uh, And invariably, the more we focus on someone else's needs as well and neglect ourselves, we have self-doubt because we don't know what we feel or want or desire if we Mm -hmm. neglect that. And then the self-doubt maybe fosters greater dependence on other people. So it kind of goes in a cycle. Uh, and, and so that uh, we neglect ourselves and we feel self-doubt, more dependent, and then more need to please. Yeah, that sounds like a really vicious cycle. So how does anger manifest itself in when we, when we do this? Uh, for example, uh, it may be irritable mm. at, at home or at work. You may be unable to uh, have a discussion without feeling controlled, might feel inadequate because you can't always please others and then that direct that anger at yourself. For example, at work, uh, the workplace says, oh, look how good you're doing. I'll give you some more work. <laughs> you, you complete <laughs> yeah. it and the, the reward is to get more work. And then, some, and then sometimes you're so overworked Instead of getting angry at the boss supervisor, you get angry at yourself. Gee, I must be inadequate. I can't handle it all. Other mm. people, I should be able to. Uh, so uh-huh. that, 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 that should word. Yeah, that. Mm. Right. <laughs> I, I, I think that's an interesting point because I think any time that word shows up, it's time to take a step back and, and analyze that. It's like, what does that mean, that, that word should? Uh, there was a psychologist, David Burns, he wrote a book on depression, and it was, he always had this phrase, if you have a lot of shoulds in your mind about life, you're leading a shouldy life. <laughs> yeah, I love it, yeah. <laughs> I've always so, liked that phrase. So what's the third way that, that this need to please can, can end up in anger and frustration? Well, the third way was that being sensitive to feeling, con- the need to please can fuel the sensitivity to feeling controlled. Mm. And uh, since we lack limits, we develop a sensitivity that they're trying to manipulate us. And I encourage people when they hear the word or experience someone is trying to manipulate you, one, be aware mm-hmm. if, it's, if it's your own need to please that is having difficulty. But manipulate, is, I say it's an incomplete sentence. If they're trying to manipulate either you, um, maybe it's their anxiety about something. So they're wanting you to behave in a certain way, and maybe it is control. So kind of being able to recognize that if this person is trying to manipulate, there's something that they want. I get to mm-hmm. decide, and I get to decide if I want to be part of this or not. Uh, that's where being able to set limits is an issue if you have difficulty pleasing. It's like uh, sometimes we get caught up in the phrase unconditional love. Uh. <laughs> we expect that, we expect that uh, in a loving adult relationship there should be unconditional love. Whether or not we had it as a child, 
And so I give the example, okay, so your husband says, if you really love me, you'll go down the block and get me a bottle of vodka. <laughs> so, right. And, uh, and it's disappointing to hear for a lot of people, but there's no such thing as unconditional love. That, oh, uh, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint a lot of people, maybe. But in reality, uh, we're, we're different people. We have different expectations. We have different limits uh, of what we want to be as a person and how we want to behave. And so uh, loving someone doesn't mean that we violate our own limits, especially if they're important values to us. And, and that's when we really start losing track of, our, of ourselves, and that's when that anger can, can arise. And, you know, and, and, I, and part of it is, I think, and I've kind of come up with this completely un, unscientific, because there's no way, I haven't never tested this, it's this theory I have, about what midlife crises are, that it's about, you know, this... this pushback against the need to please, feeling control, feeling like I'm not living my life, and I get to the point in life where I realize, oh my gosh, more of my life is over than I'm going to have, and if I don't start honoring who I am, you know, I'm going to cease to exist, not literally, but figuratively as my own person, and so then I just blow up my life as opposed to looking at it in a more productive way about where have I given up my power? What's behind that? Is it true that if I take a stand for what's important to me, my partner is going to leave me? Now, in some cases, that may be a true statement, and in that particular case, it's like, well, okay, that may be the best thing. But in most of the cases, I think people don't have any idea that somebody else has been compromising themselves all these years, that somebody else has been, you know, because to me, I tell people, it's like, if I ask my husband, you know, to do something and he says, yes, fine, why would I question that that's not a true statement? (laughs) We we can't go around second-guessing everybody. We'd never get anything done. So. Does, does this make any sense that you know, this is how we end up in these situations? Very much so. And then if we start setting limits, I, I'd be alert that people might look at you uh, <laughs> askew like, gee, what's going on with you? <laughs> because they've experienced you being a pleaser. Mm-hmm. And they, they just take it for granted. Uh, because like you say, if, they, if a person is volunteering to do something and there's no discussion about it, no, no uh, resistance to it, then yes, you expect, okay, they're agreeable. They, may, they must want to do this. They mm-hmm. must agree. They're all in, so to speak. Uh, okay. but, uh, and then people can go for, like you say, uh, even in the relationship, for years not recognizing that, no, this person is, uh, is not feeling what they're saying. The, feel, the real feelings are not matching what they're saying, but the partner can't know that. Right. So, so we've been talking a little bit about how the need to please developed, and, we, and one of the things that you've suggested is starting to create boundaries um, as a way to move away from this need to please. 
Are there other things that people can do to overcome this? Because, I mean, a lot of my clients will come in and they'll go, yeah, I, I recognize I've got this. Or, as you said before, the conflict avoider is usually somebody who has this need to please. So how can people get past this without blowing up their lives? Very much so emphasizing that these are habits, and habits, when we pay attention to them, and they take time, but they can change. And so one is to really recognize, I said earlier, the thoughts that you need to please the feeling, and to begin mm-hmm. to step back, uh, even using mindfulness. Mindfulness meditation is a way of looking at our feelings and thoughts without being uh, overly buying into them and really taking time to pause Uh, Remind yourself that the intensity uh, of your need to please made sense when you were a child, and it it was meant to protect you. But you're no longer a child, and uh, once in a while setting limits, like you say, uh, you're not going to be abandoned in most cases. Uh, Learn strategies in being assertive. How can you express yourself in ways that are neither passive nor aggressive? Uh, And that, that is really a uh, empowering, uh, so assertive communication. I say begin in situations that are less threatening. If you want to start let, setting limits, <laughs> voicing your opinions or feelings about some minor issue, and building up from there. So it's like lifting weights. You don't you don't go in and start lifting three hundred pounds if you've never lifted anything. You start a little bit lighter. Um, exactly. So- exactly. You know, I really don't want to watch that TV show tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So you said something that I think is really important, and I'm wondering if you can more clearly define the difference between aggressive and assertive. Sure. When we're assertive, we really are being compassionate with the other person. We're not downgrading them. We're not uh, displaying anger at them. We're not we're saying that this is how I'm impacted. We're saying, for example, when you did blank, I felt uh, ignored or discounted. When I, uh-huh. feel, when I feel ignored or discounted, I become sometimes irritated and, and, and annoyed, uh, angry. And I always say, give the statement then about how you would like that person to behave. And that that one is open for negotiation. So I would say, next time, I really would prefer you blank, blank. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you do that? Mm -hmm. And so you're being compassionate to yourself. And again, like I say, you're not being aggressive. You're not devaluing the uh, person, your partner, when you speak that way. And I think it it is important to take ownership that I feel this way. And sometimes maybe I can even tie it to something that happened in my past, maybe something that happened in childhood, because it could be, I mean, I talked, you know, um, years ago, my husband attempted to throw me a surprise party, and he will never do that again, because I didn't react, I didn't react well, because suddenly he was becoming secretive. And it triggered, I'm thinking he's going to walk, I mean, I'm thinking he's leaving me. And, and mm-hmm. he's like, and, and I could not have explained to anybody how I got from point A to point B in like 2.9 nanoseconds. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh-huh. but it did. It triggered something with me. And then I had to explain to him, it's like, oh, here's what happened. That When you started becoming secretive, this is the reaction that I had, and this came from my childhood. 
And I think that when we can get clearer in our own heads about where our reactions are coming from, I think it can help our, you know, our partners understand because you know, my kids were looking at me like I had three heads. And I mean, you know, like, uh-huh. what is the matter with mom? And, you know, my, and it's the next big birthday approach. My husband goes, you know, I'm not. I said, yeah, I know I'm not getting a surprise party. Uh-huh. It, was, it was just disastrous. But it was because something had happened that I didn't understand. And I think a lot of this, you know, when we, when we go to our partners and ask for things, if we can acknowledge, hey, this is my deal. I get it. I realize that maybe not everybody reacts this way, but, but here's something that would help me. And I think most partners would be open to that as opposed to the aggressive, you're wrong, you did this, you know, you're responsible for my feeling this way. Definitely. And, and I think if you can pause and look at, the, at your own backstory so you can share it, that does help. Uh, you and, and your partner understand the context, your reactions. And I, I need to emphasize, too, that if you are being assertive and uh, expressing it the way we just described, and your partner starts yelling and screaming, uh, <laughs> remind yourself that that's their issue, that clearly they might be using anger as a fog to hear what you're feeling. Uh, well, yeah, and it's a whole different way of communicating that like we've talked about, can be learned, but, and it's about habit. It's about starting to do this. And I loved, you know, I loved it, like start slow. Start with the things that don't have a big impact to help build up that habit because it also gets your partner used to you know, a different way of being in a non-threatening way. Uh, definitely. And, and I, would even voice, I would even voice that out loud saying, you know, I've come to realize I kind of ignore myself at times, so I'm going to be I'm going to be doing this. <laughs> right. <laughs> I might be uh, trying to be a little more vocal about how I really feel. It's been hard for me. Uh, and if you have so, a, a partner who is available to really be uh, uh, understanding and sensitive to that, that again can be helpful. Absolutely. So, Dr. Golden, thank you so much for all of this wonderful information. Can you share where people can find out more? I mean, I love the you know, anger, you know, your, your, um, your anger management education. I think that's a wonderful concept because I think we all could benefit from that. So can you give people some information about how they can learn more? Sure. My website is angermanagementeducation.com, and uh, the book was... Uh, Overcoming Destructive Anger, Strategies That Work, and that includes a variety of strategies, becoming more aware of anger, becoming more aware of uh, mindfulness, and uh, also uh, self-compassion strategies. So disappointment is a given in any relationship, but it actually doesn't have to create heartache. Letting go of the need to please is one path to take, and it's still okay to do things that create pleasure for others The difference is in not having it be required and not sacrificing yourself along the way. So hopefully you'll keep listening to the show and keep learning about how to be better in relationships. And until next week, stay loving.